Thank you, Bob. If you would, in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, the last verse in a series. I entitled the series, Faith Working Through Love, because that's what Paul says matters. In Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. He repeats uh, a similar thought in chapter 6, verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything, neither uncircumcision, but a new creation. So this is his emphasis in a culture, in a church that is being pressured into a performance culture, into obedience to the law as a way of gaining God's favor and proving their salvation. Um, the idea of faith working through love, Paul's emphasis there is not on how strong you believe. It's not on the strength or the power of your faith. Faith has an object that it reaches out to. And that's what Paul's emphasis has been about in the text. So in a performance culture, it is revolutionary uh, to say that you need to come away from that and live in the grace of of Jesus Christ, but that's exactly what the apostle has been doing. And so now he comes to his last thought, his parting words, and it might seem like a simple salutation, it might seem like a simple goodbye, um, but it is not. His words are chosen uh, carefully, and these are different. Uh, a lot of his uh, goodbyes, his benedictions, if you will, um, are, are uh, unique. Uh, and this one is unique, and there's a reason. It's because this is what concludes his thought. And so Galatians 6.18 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Um, in this little verse, I think Paul is summing up the emphasis of his letter. He is summing up uh, something that he has been driving home. So let's look at it together. I think the lesson is that what matters is the grace provided to us through union to the crucified Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what matters is the grace that's been provided to us as we have been joined to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, I think the first thing that stands out, at least to me as I look at this text, is that Christ has sufficiently provided for you. Um, how do you conclude a letter like this? You tell people, uh, to go back to the one who's provided, to stay with the one who has provided, and to live in all the things that he has, in fact, provided. And this is why he says, if you look in the text, the grace of. It's, it's not your grace, it's grace from this individual. Whatever grace is, it's from this person. This person is the fountainhead of whatever grace is, it comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. He uses the full name of Jesus. Now, um, you know, Jesus is his human name. It is uh, Jehovah is salvation, but it is Jesus in his humanity, born, as Paul says uh, in chapter 4, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. This is his incarnation and the importance 
of the Son of God becoming the Son of Man so that he could, according to Galatians 3, take upon himself the curse of the law. To take upon himself the curse of the cross. To be shamed, to be slain in our place. Uh, He uses the word Christ. This is actually in this book his favorite name for our Lord. And the reason is, Christ is this mediatory, this this go-between, this um, maybe ambassador with all the ambassadors we've seen this week on TV. Maybe that's the wrong term. But he's the mediator. He's the priest who stands in the presence of God on our behalf. And he's comparing what Jesus does for us with what Abraham did how Abraham in the Jewish mind represents them, or how Moses might represent them. And he is challenging that with the person of Christ as God's chosen representative. The God-man representing mankind before the Lord. And then he obviously uses the name Lord, referring to his Lordship overall, and I think this is in direct contrast to Moses and the law. Where Moses and the law were this established rule, Jesus Christ is better than that because he predates it and because he is Lord of it. He is the author of it, the giver of it, and the one who oversees all of his creation, especially, as Paul says it here at the end, the Israel of God. So he uses all the names, his favorite being Christ, but he wants you to see that this individual is the source of something for you. Uh, It is the grace of Christ. This is how he opens the letter, chapter 1, verse 3, grace to you and peace. Notice here he says it's from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. So here he just focuses on our Lord Jesus Christ, but notice what this grace is. Um, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He begins and ends the book on this theme of something that God has provided for you. And so quickly to remind you, it's the deliverance from this present evil age. But the evil isn't just outside of you. That's That's not Paul's emphasis. The evil is actually the evil within that God through his son has rescued us from. The curse of failing to obey because of the corruption of sin. This is what Jesus came to deliver us from. This is wrapped up in how he does it through in in chapter 2 verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. There's faith having an object, Jesus Christ. It's not the quality of our faith, it's the the person our faith is in. It's the person we cling to. And we're either going to cling to ourselves, or we're going to cling to Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith. And this is the great standing before God that's required to be righteous, to be holy, to be declared without sin, not guilty. 
And because he took our place, he transfers credits to our account his righteousness. We are declared justified, not by works of the law. And here's that great distinction. And folks, this is what grace is. For God to be just and yet the justifier of the ungodly. This is how he can do it legally. And this is what Christ provides for us. But it's more than that. It's the life of Christ within me. I no longer live, but Christ lives within me, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 19. The life I now live has been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I, but Christ who lives within me. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit, who we learn in chapter 4 is the Spirit of the Son sent to minister all that Christ has to us, to minister that justification through faith, to bless us in Abraham, as he says in chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Chapter 3, he tells us, verse 13, that he's redeemed us from the curse of the law. This is grace, by becoming a curse for us. Verse 14, that we might receive the Holy Spirit, a grace from Christ. Chapter 3, verse 22, the promise of faith might be given to the Gentiles, given to those who believe. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, the adoption that we receive into God's family through Jesus Christ, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. Grace that unites us as brothers and sisters in the faith. For there is no slave, no free, no Jew, nor Gentile, nor male, nor female. There can be no othering because Christ unites us because we all feed on the benefits of Christ together. Chapter 5, verse 13, the freedom that Christ has given us through his grace. Freedom from the works of the law. Freedom from the oppression of the law. Freedom from trying to earn our way. Freedom from the performance culture that would promote that. A flesh, Paul says, that's been crucified, dead a spirit that dwells within us, bearing fruit for the glory of Christ. These are the benefits that are given to us through Jesus Christ. This is just a highlight. You want something to sit down and, and, and go over for Thanksgiving, go through Galatians and just think about the things that Christ has provided for you. If you want not to do a whole book, go to Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 15, where Paul just categorizes all the things that we receive in Jesus. Because that's what Paul wants you to see, that in Christ, these are the objective benefits of being united to Jesus through faith. These are the objective things that we hold on to. When we hold faith in Christ, we're holding on to the things that this person has provided for us. But it's more than just the objective, it's the subjective too. That's why Paul can ask in chapter 4, where's your blessedness? And blessedness certainly is this idea of joy. Where's your joy? Where did it go? 
Where's your blessedness? You know, nothing should rob you of your blessedness. Nothing should rob you of the sense of peace, as he opens the letter with, grace and peace. Nothing should rob you of that. That's not found in your circumstances. That's not found in your marriage. That's not found in your, in your home. That's not found in your job. That's found in a person who has objectively made you a child of God. So nothing should be able to challenge or undermine your blessedness, not even health failing or some crisis in your life. If we cling by faith to all that objectively Christ has provided for us, it should remain ours. Blessedness, this broader than joy, it's this sense of well-being and being favored by God. Not questioning God's love for us or questioning His goodness, though we do. But holding to the confidence of what He has objectively provided for us. Freedom is an objective thing, but it's also a subjective thing. You can feel free or not feel free. And when sin battles at our hearts, when sin continues to enslave, we don't feel free, but we cling to the objective that we are and over time experience the very freedom that we were told we have in Jesus. Boasting, I think this is a subjective thing. I mean, it's an objective one, but it, it has this subjective part where we, in the middle of our of our uh, wrestling with the flesh, we can boast in what Christ has done. This is a rejoicing. This is a, a praise giving. I, when we sang of the goodness of God in Jesus Christ a few minutes ago, what we were, were we doing other than boasting in what Christ has done for us? And so Paul Paul is reminding you that grace, all of the benefits of Jesus and his sonship and his uh, being in the, in the form, in the image of God, being the second person of the Trinity, Philippians chapter 2, all of that now is resounding to you. You now can experience the very love of the Father for the Son and boast and rejoice and live in that freedom. And that's why he says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Be with your spirit. I think that's a very intentional word. He could have said, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your mind. He doesn't. He wants you to be at rest in your spirit because of what Christ has provided for you. And this in the context of a church where people were troubling the believers by saying Jesus isn't enough. You need to do more. Now that you're a believer, you need to do a lot of really, really hard things to be worthy of your salvation and to prove your salvation. They're troubling. They're un. They're, 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 they're taking them out of their comfort and saying, oh, I'm, I'm, it's not enough. I've got to get out and get busy and prove my salvation. In this troubling church, Paul wants them to have grace and peace. And so he says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Is your spirit at rest today? Is it at rest? You might have things that you're dealing with, but are you dealing with those things in all the objective 
benefits of Christ, all the objective things that Christ offers you and has provided for you. It's benefit enrollment season, right? You go with your company. If you have insurance through your company, you go through and they, they list all the things that you can have deducted from your salary, right? All the little benefits. And so you go through and you click on that. I want a little bit of that. I want some of that. How much of that do you want? I only want this much. You don't get to click. They're all clicked. They're all given to you through Jesus. And Paul wants you to experience that and to live in that and to not be troubled anymore and to have your joy returned. And then I think he, he speaks of the tenacious grace of, of God. Um, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This has been his intense, tenacious message. Uh, he has been at times offensive in his language. He has been adamant in what he has said. He has condemned the very rock apostle Peter for his heresy for his pulling away from the Gentiles. He has anathematized anyone who would speak against or different than the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a tenacious apostle upholding a, tenacious, upholding a truth tenaciously, but it is nothing. It pales in comparison to the tenacity of Jesus to provide this for us. And folks, that's what grace is. Grace is not a passive thing. Grace is not, is, is not something that we can pick and choose. It is an active work of God because grace comes to us through a person. It's the benefits of being joined to Christ. You cannot separate grace from Jesus. And so many churches today want to do that. Forgive the hobby horse, but you cannot separate them. Grace from God is not some nebulous thing where He just loves you. He does not, apart from Jesus Christ, receive you. He doesn't. And if through Jesus He receives you, then you too have been crucified with Christ. And you are no longer your own. You were bought with a price. And that grace in the Spirit of the Son is now tenaciously at work. As Paul says in Titus, teaching us, grace appears, teaching us to live self-controlled, to live godly, self-controlled, upright lives today. Don't think that God's Spirit is not at work in your life every day, bringing you the benefits of Christ and calling you to faithfulness in Christ. That's the gospel. What we hear from so many public preachers is grace, 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 but there's no understanding that grace comes to us at cost. Our sin had to be dealt with. I was talking to Pastor Paul this last week, and he's working at Grace Point Church up and coming part-time right now. He's kind of on loan for us. Love him, miss him dearly. Um, get to see him during the week probably more than most of you. He said that the pastor at Grace Point met with the pastor on staff, not necessarily senior pastor, but the pastor on staff of a mega church up near Lake Lanier. Now, this is hearsay, okay? So it won't hold up in a court of law. It might in Congress, but it won't here. It won't in law, okay? Sorry, that was, 
too much politics this week. <laughs> so here's what the pastor on staff told the pastor of Grace Point Presbyterian Church. Want to know how to grow your church? This is when the guy was just starting. Don't mention sin. Just don't talk about it. People know they're sinners, just don't talk about it. What? What? Now that's reported to have been said to him. But can you imagine that? Folks, the only reason I'm here is because I'm a sinner and Jesus paid the price for that. And I rejoice in the grace that I have received through the sacrifice of Jesus on my behalf. If there wasn't sin that needed to be dealt with, we wouldn't need Jesus. Jesus is meaningless in my life apart from the forgiving grace that I've received. If it weren't for sin, Jesus is just a good example. But sin, God's response to sin was tenacity. It was tenacious grace to say to his creation, I'm not content to let that corruption come into your life, into my image bearers, and to leave it there. I'm not content for my son. He needs a people for his own possession. In fact, conformed to his likeness. And they've been corrupted. Christ provides this tenacious grace, this work of the Spirit, determined to rescue us from this present evil age, determined to bring us to completion. Galatians 3.8. If you've begun in the Spirit, do you think you're going you're to be complete in your flesh? No, the Spirit is tenaciously at work in your life to bring you to completion. What the law cannot do, it is powerless to do. It only condemns, it only exposes sin and exposes your need for a Savior. What the law cannot do, God, through Jesus Christ and His living Spirit, can actually accomplish in your life. And they have set out to do so. They have set out to accomplish this work. And it begins with the work of the Spirit bringing you to new life, the new creation, as Paul says, And that new creation reaches out in faith to the author of grace, to the source of goodness and grace, and clings to Christ. And we are adopted into His family, and the Spirit now goes to work to transform us into His very glory. This is the work of God, to bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So that if we walk in the Spirit, we actually have the power to not fulfill the desires of the flesh. The tenacity of Paul is paled, or or pales in comparison to the tenacious work of God to bring us into his family and to provide for us through Jesus Christ. And then he talks about, he ends with this word, brothers. Brothers, brothers and sisters, that's the implication. It's not recorded that way, but most commentators understand that Paul is referring 
to the congregation culturally. In our day, we should add sisters. Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. It's beautiful that he ends that way. He ends a lot of his books that way because the, the, the enemy is seeking to sow discord within the church. It's just his tactic. It's just how Satan works, discord. I mean, this is, you know, Paul says in chapter 5, verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Man, it's easy to consume each other. You know, not just turkey, but to have roast whoever for lunch on Thanksgiving Day. He tells us in verse 26, do not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Paul's message throughout this book has been that there is unity in Christ through grace. Where Peter would withdraw from Gentiles as the unclean others. The gospel says, no, we embrace. We embrace the unclean because Christ embraced the unclean. And in embracing the unclean, Christ made them clean. This is actually going to be the emphasis of our Advent series on how the incarnation brought the purifying grace of Christ so that we can learn now and we must learn not to other people, those people, but we can learn to embrace with the grace of Jesus our very enemies. A lesson that that Jonah struggled to learn with the Assyrians. A lesson that we need to learn as we seek to embrace East Cobb, as we seek to embrace the people around us. Grace undermines othering. I'll say it again, grace undermines othering. All of us by faith who cling to Christ are united to Christ. There is neither male nor female. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. Add your comparison. Democrat versus Republican. But we are in one of the most tribal times in our country and in our world. There was a study done on tribalism and how it is growing globally. On how nationalism is growing globally. Keller has a great comment. It's one of your study questions about nationalism and legalism. I'd encourage you to, uh, to go through the study questions and consider some of his comments. Peter othered when the Jewish Christians came. And Paul reminds us that we are all brothers and sisters in the family of God. That all who believe in Jesus have been added to the roster of the family of God. That we are all sons of Abraham, Jew and Gentile alike. Adopted into God's family regardless of our heritage or regardless of our sin. We're called brothers and sisters, and we're called to bear one another's burdens. We're called to love and serve one another. Because in Christ, there is no other. There is only us. Some applications. I, I don't know how I could end 
a study on Galatians and, and not end this way. The book is about what Christ has provided for you, not what you provide for you. It's not about your performance. It is about the provision of God through Jesus. You're about to enter Thanksgiving. There's all kinds of performance issues that you're going to face. I have prayed for you multiple times. I have prayed for my own wife. I have prayed for myself. I'm about to engage people that I love, but that can create bag, you know, can trigger the baggage in my own life. There are performance issues. You're about to face that. How are you going to deal with it? Someone walks in your house and the first thing they notice is the the dog hair that didn't get cleaned up and they comment on it. Or they notice how the, the turkey was a little too dry. Now, hopefully not Christmas vacation dry, but dry. Okay? Or how the stuffing doesn't taste like grandma's. These little things, these little barbs that jab and they, and they wound us. Because they affect, they, they criticize our performance. How are you going to deal with that? Are you going to be troubled? Are you going to lose your blessedness, your sense of joy and rest in the, in the performance of Christ, in the love of God, in the fact that you are united to him? And these little things just don't matter. They just don't. And you can, you can own it. You can say, yeah, I overcooked it. Well, <laughs> you, know. you can own it. You can live with it. It doesn't affect who you are. It doesn't challenge your identity. It doesn't diminish your value in any way. Can you do that? This is, what, this is how Paul is calling us to live. It's not I who lives. It's not Tim. It's Christ who lives within me. How are you going to face the evaluations because we all face evaluations how are you going to face those how are you going to respond paul would say look to all that christ has provided for you what do you have that you have not received rejoice you're free it doesn't matter what what you know your sister's cousin-in-law thinks about you it's okay Fight the good fight of faith. I don't know if you've picked up on this, but this is very much in Galatians a battle that Paul has gone to war for. He is adamant. He is engaged vigorously in this debate. And he wants you to go tenaciously into the fray once again. I love that quote at the end of the gray the movie The Gray. One last entrance into the fray, the last great battle I will ever be in. This is it. The battle within your heart for faith. The battle in your heart to cling to Christ. Once again into the fray. Every day you open your eyes and you say once again into the fray. But it is not against flesh and blood that you battle. It is the battle within your own heart against your own legalism. Against your own identity and performance. 
but it is the last great battle you will ever enter. And Christ has already won it. Walk in the Spirit today. Fight that good fight. Get around people. Uh, you know, if, if you're going to engage in family and family threatens your performance and family triggers old feelings, get some people ready to call. You think, Tim, are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. Call someone who is deeply rooted in the gospel and say, this is what was been, has been said. This is how I feel. I need to hear the truth. And let people speak into your life. Folks, this is what life group is for. This is what journey group is for. These are what our Bible studies are for. This is what community is for, to build each other up. Don't enter the battle alone. Fight the good fight of faith. Find people who can support and encourage you in the gospel. And then extend grace to others. This is how Paul, this is what Paul says, right? To love and serve one another. The, the freedom that we have is for others to engage in their lives. And what are we to give them? We're to give them the very things that we've received. We're to give uh, the way uh, Wolf, Mirsolf Wolf says in his book, embrace, uh, Exclusion and Embrace, that, uh, that we, we go in and we embrace people instead of othering them, instead of ghosting them, instead of you know, defriending them. We embrace. We embrace with vulnerable hearts, knowing that we might get hurt, but that hurt is something that we share with Christ who's been rejected. And so we continue to embrace and we continue to move toward people with the grace that we've received this is what it means to be a believer to move toward to embrace and then remember that grace builds community the performance culture destroys community evaluation criticism all these things come out of envy they come out of pride they come out of deceit and we're in danger of that destroying community so when you walk into your family, walk in determined to extend them forgiveness and grace, to minister the love of God to them, and remember that that's what builds community. So open your heart, minister, walk in as the hands and feet and mouthpiece of Jesus, and minister to the people around you this week, no matter how hurtful they are, no matter how, you know, what, no matter how they trigger you, I got the grace of God. Go and build community and welcome people in the name of Jesus. Performance destroys community. It's othering. It's biting and devouring one another. I pray that God will give us the grace to live in all the benefits of Christ for us so that we can have a strong community here that welcomes these coppers. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for this beautiful letter to the Galatian church. There's so much for us to learn. We have only touched the surface in our study, but I pray it will open our eyes to our need to live in your grace, that all that matters in your presence is Christ and what he's provided for us, and we cling today by faith to Christ. Fill us with your spirit as we live in what we've received and offer that grace to others. In Jesus' name, amen.